How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. This is Colossus destination for soccer talk with Emmy award-winning play-by-play man Dan Dibley and international soccer savant Rick Tittle. Work it, work it. Let's kick it off. Well, we've reached double digits, Rick. We're not quite yet a teenager, but it is another edition, (laughs) the 11th edition of Golasso Supremo Goal! And my other favorite, Goal, 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 Goal. I always loved Tony Tirado, who was the 1982 uh, Univision guy for the World Cup in Spain. And he was just very low. He'd go, Dinamarca! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One of the great tenors of our time. He was. You know, you think about Placido 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 Polanco, the uh, former (laughs) middle infielder. He wore out the A's, didn't he? Placido Domingo. Domingo. Yes, That's of right. Course. Sunday Silence, the horse, or in Latin, Placido Domingo. Yeah. Is that okay. what it is? I think Sun- so. Placido Domingo, Sunday yeah. Silence? Yeah, that's what I've always thought. Had a great rivalry with Easy Goer. He did, I know. That's true. This is not at the track with Sam Spear. It is Golasso <laughs> Supremo. Rick Tittle, Dan Dibley back. It is episode 11 in this episode. We will take an early look at the Champions League quarterfinal action. A certain favorite team of a certain someone is playing in a certain place that happens to be certainly quite new. We'll get into that. Uh, Tottenham's new stadium, the meltdown against Liverpool, where we stand in the Prem, other European leagues. I know you've got some splaining to do as it pertains to some Yiddish phrases. That's all ahead on this week's installment of Golasso Supremo. Golasso, 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 Asso, Asso, Asso. Rick, where would you like to begin? Should we begin chronologically? With Jan Vertonghen and his... Was it Jan Vertonghen or was it Alderweireld who had the serious dack? Well, it's it's not Alderweireld's fault. It was Lloris. Hugo yeah. Lloris with a sloppy spill. Liverpool 2, Tottenham 1. Yeah, that was at Anfield and that was a huge game for both sides. And uh, Tottenham at that point had taken you know one point in, in, out of 15. Four losses and a draw. It was a terrible result. But yeah, Hugo Lloris... Uh, basically threw the ball down onto Alderweireld's shins. There's, it's terrible that he goes in the books as an own goal. There's absolutely no way he could have helped it. The guy's a heroic defender. But it's funny, you think about Hugo Lloris, his year since the World Cup final, he had the worst gaffe of his career in the World Cup final, giving away a free goal, and yet he still lifted the World Cup after it. But, yeah, that was rough, um, and it's kind of kind of forgotten about now after yesterday. It was a huge thing at N17 with the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium finally open after many months of delays. And, you know, I think about what it's going to be like when the Coliseum gets torn down. That's going to, of course, be much more emotional for me. I grew up there. Uh, We know that the Warriors are going to San Francisco. We know the Giants have already moved from Candlestick. The A's are trying to get out. There's always going to be some heartstrings attached to the old stadium. But um, 
You know, the, the main reason they needed that stadium is because if you look at Berbatov and Michael Carrick, who cried their way to Man United, if you look at Modric and Bale, who cried their way to Real Madrid, it's because they wanted to play in a big stadium for a bigger club. And if Tottenham wants to be a team where you stay, like arguably the best striker in the world, Harry Kane, you're going to stay if you have that majestic stadium and if you are making head, uh, headway in the Champions League. So hopefully they've, they're crossing the Rubicon, so to speak, with that. Yes, and uh, new ground for Tottenham, and they christened it with a 2-0 victory over Crystal Palace. And this, of course, in the same Premier Week, so to speak, that they lose to Liverpool 2-1. And it was a big win for Liverpool because it keeps them somewhat in the mix, certainly still alive in the title race, now one point separating Man City from Liverpool, 89, or 80 rather, for Man City, with just, uh, what, six fixtures left to go. Liverpool, one behind with the same six to go. Obviously, Man City with the, the upper hand, with the one point, and the goal differential, not close. It's a nine-goal difference, so that likely won't come into play. Man City, Liverpool, it's like easy goer in Sunday silence. Rick, down the stretch they come. <laughs> They're neck and neck. And I will say this, because I remember you and I, when we were doing some shows some summers ago, what was that, three years ago, you gave the final score of a game, I think a Raider game, it was early in the year, and I, I tweeted, because you said like 38-14 or something, and you nailed it. Um, I bring that up because I was actually on a Liverpool radio show giving my prediction of the Palace game, and I said Tottenham 2, Palace nil. That's not going to get me any love outside of this podcast, but I just thought I'd bring it up that I got the little Nostradiblis uh, on that. But yes, getting back to Man City. No, that, that's great. And that, that should be congratulated because that didn't look like it was going to be trending toward 2-0. It was pretty even opening 45 and then Tottenham imposed its will. And your guy, Yunmin Son, with another clutch goal and Christian Eriksen continues to do his thing. Yeah. Well, and as you know, too, predicting a soccer game 2-0 there's probably a 20% chance of every game on earth ending like that. Yours was a little bit better, I have to say. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Had you gone with Dos Acero, then you would have gotten bonus points. Yeah, I could have gone that. Or maybe Zwei. Uh, uh, of course. Kind. Course. Yes. Eins, zwei. It would be Zwei. Zwei und kein Gold Zero. Yes. That would be two, uh, two nothing in German. Yeah. Of course. Though they say Tor for goal there. Tor. So Torasso Sublimo, we'd have to change it to? We'd have to find a way to... uh... Torasso, yeah. Tottenham's going to play Man City three times in the next four games. Three of the next four overall. Yeah. So you've got twice in the Champions League and then the the fixture, of course, in the Premier League. So for And I believe that's at Eastlands too, so that's gonna be tough. Eastlands is their stadium. That's the new Tottenham Stadium? No, no, no. That's City of Manchester Stadium. That's where um, Man City plays. A.K.A. the Etihad. Is it the same? Oh, that's right. The Etihad, they sponsor it now. Sorry. No, but it used to be Eastlands. It was Eastlands because that's the area of Manchester that it's in. And everybody called it Eastlands forever, and I forgot it's the Etihad now. Yeah. So before we get to the Champions League, because I think it's appropriate for this conversation as well, you look at Spurs sitting on 64 points in the Premier League, just one ahead of Arsenal, and they have a game in hand. Mm -hmm. And Chelsea also just one point back. So how do you balance... The competitiveness, the need to stay in the Champions League for next year with obviously excelling in the Champions League that you're already in this year. Do, well, you, I, do you prioritize it accordingly? I, you know what? As an American, I try to win every damn game, especially when you have two teams of internationals. It, it's funny. I was talking to an Everton fan of mine, and he's like, oh, I hope I hope we don't finish hot and go into the Europa League. Uh, it's 
we really need to concentrate. I'm like, what is this defeatist attitude? You want, you should want more. Your life is short. You don't want to play under European lights. So they have enough. Now, listen, it, it, you know, when they're going to play a game like, you know, against Crystal Palace, then, yeah, maybe you are going to throw um, a Juan Foyt or a Serge Aurier out there. I, you know, you do have to rest some guys, but not at this point in the season. It's it's hell's bells. I mean, you got to you got to show up and you got to go for it. And, you know, you mentioned there's, uh, you know, five spots for six teams. One of those teams, Man U, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, they're not going to be in Europe next year. And it looks to be Man U right now on the outside looking in. They sit on 61 points, which is two back of Chelsea and Arsenal, three back of Spurs. So as much as the title race is compelling, like you said, four for three, four teams for three spots to get back to Europe, compelling as well. And it's somewhat interesting in the relegation zone, although Burnley, Southampton, and Brighton all now five points clear of Cardiff. So Cardiff with plenty of work to do in Fulham and Huddersfield, as we've mentioned Ad nauseum now, already basically down. I think Huddersfield is officially mathematically down. Yeah. is yeah. down, and Fulham will be within moments. Fulham just five fixtures left to go. Yeah, no, they're they're down, and, and it's you know the Terriers. The odds when you get promoted, the odds of staying up are stacked against you anyway. So you know, I just it's funny you think about these massive clubs like Nottingham Forest and Leeds and Aston Villa you know, the opportunity to come back up, but it's so hard. You get relegated. Now you're not on TV. You don't get that money. Your best players don't want to play there. Uh, everybody wants to leave. It's hard. And that's why you want to avoid that trap door. That is the worst thing that can happen to you. And if we had it in American sports, I mean, just think about how life and death it would be. If you knew, like if I thought the Raiders were going to get relegated, you know, and they'd be playing in <laughs> in the arena league or something, how life and death would that be here? I think even for soccer, if we keep it, to the, the pod, and it's Rick Tittle and Dan Dibley Gloss of Supremo, if you took the top 40 American soccer clubs, and then you throw the Canadians in there as well, Toronto FC, Les Impacts du Montreal, ah. etc., the Vancouver, not the uh, Canucks, but the uh, Whitecaps, I mm -hmm. believe. You take all the MLS teams, and 24 of them, as we mentioned, with more to come on the horizon. There might be 25 by now, I have to double check. <laughs> but you take I think Indianapolis... FC has just started since we As they should. Take the top 40 <laughs> and get into some real relegation. Mm. You don't have to do a four-division relegation. Just do two divisions. That way there's much more urgency in a club like our very own <clears throat> San Jose Earthquakes would be. And I know they're motivated to improve on the product, but they would be even more so motivated knowing it's the difference between playing LAFC and all due respect, Sacramento United. The only FIFA recognized, yeah, the only FIFA recognized league that we know that does not have promotion or relegation. They would have gone down last year, four games in. They're on a minus twelve. It's funny. I went to opening day. They scored a goal. Since that time, they've shipped fourteen and scored one. Wow. It's about as bad. They're even last year. They were horrible. They're even worse this year. And it's early days, but still, four games in. Nothing has changed under Almeida so far. And it's unfortunate, and we will cover more earthquakes here coming up. But first, I do want to look at the championship in uh, English football, and you can give me your thoughts on how it's looking right now. Norwich on 81, Leeds on 76, and there's 24 teams in the championship, so that would be, what, 46 matches in all. So still a bit to go, seven more matches, but Norwich and Leeds looking good. In the playoff, you've got Sheffield United, West Brom trying to make it back, Bristol City, and the aforementioned Aston Villa. Well, Bristol City's never been in the Prem. That would be huge for them. Um, you know, it, the Blades, they, they're always the second team in Sheffield. Wednesday gets most of the love. 
it's funny because the on Saturday would be Sheffield United, and on Wednesday, the people who worked in the pits, that's how they were called Sheffield Wednesday originally. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny. The first time I went to White Hart Lane, there was no Premier League. You know, it was still basically Division One, Two, Three, Four. Um, you just have to get used to some teams being in and being out. It's like these old guys would say, you know, that are 80 years old. Oh, my gosh, in my day, it was all about uh, Preston North End and Blackpool. And we're like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> And kids today were like, yeah, back in my day, it was Leeds and Aston Villa. You'd be like, what the hell? So, I mean, it's – and then Nottingham Forest. I mean, think about their European trophies. And now you look across the River Tyne and Notts County. That's pretty cool. You have two stadiums, like, literally across the river from right. each other. Um, but they're they're just like Notts County now, and it's a shame. And you mentioned those teams, Sheffield Wednesday, 11th in the championship, likely not making the playoff. Of course, the top two in the championship automatically promoted – Three, four, five, and six get into a four-team playoff, which I think is fantastic. It is. Yeah. So if, if you're top six of the twenty-four, you know you've got at least a chance. But also on the outside looking in, you've got Stoke sitting in fifteenth. Swansea, my beloved side from Wales, is in fourteenth, and other teams that have had made some appearances of late. These teams not looking like they're in the promotion zone. It's funny when they have that. Then the playoffs is a relatively new thing. Maybe last. 12, 15 years they've had the playoffs, so I think I think it's a great idea, and it keeps it's sort of like having a second wild card. You know, it keeps hopes alive for some teams. Um, but you're right; the top two go straight up. They always call that last game at Wembley the playoff final. Every year it goes up, but um, I think last year they said it was like a um, 300 million pound game. I mean, if you wow. win that, it's just think about what your your club can do in that time. And the sad thing is, a lot of teams get promoted. And instead of buying players to stay in the league, they usually sell their players to get ready to play in the Premier League, which is dumb. I think probably the worst one ever was when um, actually Glenn Hoddle was the manager of Swindon Town. I want to say it's 91. They got promoted and then the league went to their ground and said, yeah, it's too small. So they got relegated again. So what? <laughs> yeah. That doesn't seem fair. You get promoted, and they go, "Yeah, you're promoted, but this isn't big enough for the big time. We're not bringing Man U here, so screw it." And you get some pretty small grounds in the in the Premier League. St James's Park, I know, is not necessarily massive, and you see some. I know where Watford plays. I've been there, Vicarage Road. Vicarage Road, yeah. not exactly massive. So you do. I see it both ways. On the one hand, yes, you want Man U and Man City to play in front of forty and fifty thousand fans, but there's something quaint and special about going to these smaller grounds and knowing it's going to be maybe 10,000 people with standing room only, the atmosphere is going to be charged, and for for a change, these super clubs have to play a true road game. Yeah, I mean, Fulham with Craven Cottage is super small. I, I went to Loftus Road where the super hoops of QPR play up in the bush, Shepherd's Bush, and uh, that is just four stands on all sides. It's funny, when I first went to White Hart Lane in 91, this is before the Taylor Report, so you still had terracing, Behind each goal was about eight rows of terraces, big steps, and occasionally there's a metal bar for the elderly to lean on, and then two like wood shingled roofs. And it's just so funny and how much they've they've changed now. Like Tottenham was a big team, and they still had these little terraced end zones with these little wood shedded roofs in it. It's just taken off and exploded from the '90s until now. Yeah, and the need for actual seats, obviously, out of the Taylor Report and, and the tragedies we've seen yeah. with fans being crushed to death and stampeded obviously those safety precautions necessary but some of the charm taken out of some of these old grounds as a result yeah and it's 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 i think what other thing is cool too is that if you still go around 
and even in some cities where it's non-league and you go to these grounds and maybe usually they have one end that's covered that's for the people who want to pay like an extra two quid or whatever and it's like eight rows and then the rest of it is all just kind of like open but to me that's like it's most pure a lot of spl grounds are actually like that as well it's Golasso Supremo, Rick Tittle, and Dan Dibley. A Yiddish breakdown with Uncle Ricky as we go to Uncle Ricky for story time. Coming up in just a few moments, and I do want to ask you about breaking apart Manchester United this offseason and how that might look for Man U, a, a super club, and how they might be able to retool this thing. It's been a number of years now since they've been top of the table, but the Champions League, Rick, World Champions! <laughs> As we so like to butcher. Oh, I love it. And then you usually chime in with your... Sebastian, Le Grande, keep the champions. They're going to tell us to shut up this time. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a role reversal. It all starts on Tuesday, and that'll be April 9th, and it starts at Tottenham Stadium. Is that the new name, Tottenham it's Stadium? It's Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and I'm sure... And it used to be White Hart Lane, right? It was White Hart Lane, and I kind of like the fact that... I mean, you could be like St. Louis and call it New Bush. Yeah, or New Yankee Stadium. Yeah, um, but what the reason they're calling it that is because they're still in cahoots. I'm sure at some point it's going to be Amazon Stadium or sure. something stupid like right. that. Rakuten Pavilion. Yeah, I mean, or the, the racketeering behind Rakuten. Don't let the Warriors hear that. Yeah, no, it's, uh, we're going to go ahead and scrap that. We'll go ahead and edit that out. <laughs> and three, two, and one. Uh, Champions League Tuesday, Rick. Yeah. It's Tottenham hosting Man City. We know the Spurs are pretty heavy underdogs against a super team. This is not unlike the Golden State Warriors. I was telling a colleague, Bonte Hill, earlier, who mm-hmm. also, by the way, claims to be a Spurs fan, in case you want to oh, him. quiz him somewhere down the road. <laughs> is If this is the Warriors, Manchester City, what would Tottenham be in an NBA comparison as far as the level of underdog going into this Champions League quarter? Wouldn't be the Rockets. Um, Maybe. I would say it would be like Celtics. You know, it's like. Not Celtic, but the Celtics. Right. Very good. Not Glasgow Celtic at, um, at, at Ibrox. But you would have to, you know, if the Celtics beat the Warriors, the world wouldn't end. You, you would be surprised. Right. But it wouldn't be shocking. But you would expect the Warriors to win that. So what does Tottenham need to do in the first leg? They host the first leg. At the stadium formerly known as White Hart Lane, mm-hmm. now known as Tottenham Hotspur yeah. Stadium. Somebody's which... going to come in with a big check and rename it Amazon Stadium. And probably, I look forward to that like because that. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, you might as well name it the place where Tottenham plays. <laughs> it's a little bit lame <laughs> to me. You could have just yeah. called it White Hart Lane or White Hart Boulevard. What do they need to do? So you don't like Angel Stadium? No. No, I don't. <laughs> I do like Dodger Stadium, however, because ah, it, was, it was just Dodger Stadium. Right. It's been Dodger Stadium. Right. Angel Stadium should have just gone with the big A. They were Edison Field for a while. A lot right? of things. Okay, back to soccer. I keep, I keep taking us off no, the No, I don't mind it. Yeah. This is good also okay. Supremo, and yeah. uh, you know you can't always be dangerous in the final third. Sometimes you got to <laughs> have unsightly giveaways. Exactly. What does Tottenham need to do in that first leg? Do they need to go up two before you return to the Etihad? Well, uh, they need to play loose because if they play conservatively, Manchester City is going to stomp on them. They'll probably play the whole game in their whole half. Um, they have to realize that Manchester City is a little bit better than them. Not a lot, but still uh, they are better than them. And so they should just play their game. Play loose. You know, like Devin Booker coming to the Coliseum. I don't give a damn. I'm scoring 50. You know, just 
just play loose, man, because you got everything to gain. The pressure is not on you. If you think the pressure is on you, you're going to choke, which they have done in the two domestic cups. So I hope they play loose, but I doubt it. Also on Tuesday, you've got Liverpool hosting Porto, which is interesting because Liverpool still will play its regularly scheduled Premier League game later that week on a Friday. Liverpool obviously has a bit of a split focus, just one point back in the Prem, and they sit in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. How do you approach it if you're Jurgen Klopp? Put on your, your Klopp hat for a minute. <laughs> Not well, your top hat. Every every single manager will always tell you that the league is the most important thing to win, the most prestigious thing to win. I, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I think it probably is in this case. You you can't not hold back in, in either of those games. I mean, this is this is what it's all about. You say, be careful what you wish for. This is what we wish for. We, we want to do the double. We want to do the, the treble, or as we would say here, the triple. We, we want to win as much as we can, so there's no reason for them to hold back. And they're... They showed against Tottenham that not only are they good, but the luck is going their way as well. Yes, the luck. The luck of playing against the Spurs and knowing that they're going to go down their leg on you at any given moment. Well, you've got the French captain, the World Cup winner, who spills the ball right into his defender's shins. I mean, you can't. You can pray for that, but you probably won't get it. Yes, especially when you're talking about one of the best defenders in the entire world. And Luis is no slouch as a goalkeeper. Never Just know. a weak moment on a header he should have probably corralled. Yes. Off we, the dome of Mo Salah. Yes, he should, have, uh, he should have corralled that. And you know what? It's too bad because when Tottenham scored, Liverpool was real. I thought they were reeling, and I was waiting for a winner. Um, I was actually on the air here at 95-7 the game. And when that goal went in, I just... You know, I have to show must go on. I think it was the first time in my life I interrupted my show and I said, ah, damn, Liverpool just scored. Anyway, back to Sean nice. Livingston. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Something like that. You could have dropped an S-bomb and had him dump it just in pure. Yeah, I could know. have, you know. but It's not that serious. No. Maybe if it's a Champions League gaffe of the same order, then maybe the reaction's a little bit stronger. Liverpool and Porto Tuesday. The other quarterfinals, the aforementioned Manchester United hosting Barcelona Man U at Old Trafford against an absolute juggernaut. Does Ole Gunnar Solskjaer have more magic in that bag, or is this the nadir for Man U? Wow. Well, is it a nadir when you lose to Barcelona? I mean, it's kind of expected, isn't it? Depends I, how it goes. If you go out 5-0 well, in the home leg, now we're talking nadir country. Yes, it would be. Not Naeem, who scored from 50 yards out. No, or uh, Nadia Comaneci, the great <laughs> Romanian gymnast. Or Neymar. Or Nazri. <laughs> Sammy Nazri. Sammy Nazri. What a disgusting human being. <laughs> uh, well, listen, uh, you can never, you're in the theater of dreams, you know, Merseyside. And I, as I told you, I was lucky enough to go there. Worst leg room of any stadium on the planet. But still, it, that's the other thing too, Dan, is that when I went there for the FA Cup semifinals, Arsenal-Tottenham, and the Arsenal and Tottenham fans, we walk in, we were like, whoa, this is what a big stadium looks like because they had Highbury and we had the lane. So if you want to be a big boy, you have to grow up and have the big room. And that's a big room indeed. And you go to uh, Arsenal and then Chelsea, Stamford Bridge. These are also, quote, big rooms. Mm -hmm. And so, man, you, it is big boy time going up against Barcelona. Truly a tough test. The other quarterfinal, Ajax and Juventus. Juventus boasting Cristiano Ronaldo, the... Most prolific goal scorer in the history of the Champions League. Ajax at home, though, don't sleep on the Dutch when you're playing in the north side of Amsterdam. 
Could they surprise at least in the first leg here? Well, I'd like to go to Holland. Wooden shoe. Okay. <laughs> Three, two, one. Seriously. <laughs> uh, I think everyone wow. outside of Cristiano Ronaldo lovers is rooting for Ajax. Juventus is so hated in Italy that after the Heisel disaster in 85, when Juventus fans were killed, Juventus will go to Stadia and people will hold up Liverpool scarves scarves just to remind you that the fans died. Oh, in Italy, anyone south of you is a worthless animal. That's how they feel in Italy. Although people in Sicily are drinking coffee in the sun and up in Milan, it's raining on you. Right. Yeah. But everyone south of you is worthless. So it can get everyone in Italy outside of Juve fans despises Juve, but people love Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm an Ajax um, fan in the fact that that was, I think I told you, the one of the first teams I ever uh, saw. And we used to have a show called Soccer Made in Germany, and then they would send out these pamphlets. This was in the early 70s, and um, they had sent an Ajax magazine to my house, and I thought, oh, wow, Ajax. Right. You know. Must be named after the product. Yeah, no, that didn't know about product. a god or anything. Yeah, so I, I always have a soft spot. I have an I have a uh, back in the eighties. I got an Ajax jersey when I was there just for fun. So I, I kind of have a soft spot in my heart, and I I have zero love for Juve. And so. a little bit odd that there's no team representing the Bundesliga in the quarterfinals. Has the Bundesliga peaked, or is this just a down year for the likes of of Bayern and Dortmund? Well, I mean, it was a down year for the. For the World Cup, too, it was the first time Germany ever didn't get past the the first round. Um, you had guys like Hummels being told uh, and Mueller, you're never playing for the Mannschaft ever again. I don't know. I think it's just kind of a down period. It can happen now and then. It's hard to be dominant at all times. I mean, Gary Lineker's famous quote is, soccer is a game where 11 people play 11 people, and at the end, Germany wins. That's not the case anymore. This is Golasso Supremo, Rick Tittle, and Dan Dibley. Uh, Rick's Yiddish update in just a few moments here. But first, the disembowelment or the disintegration of Manchester United. It appears this offseason that they will break apart. Antonio Valencia, the team captain, will be transferring. Darmian is looking to be gone. Ander Herrera, Juan Mata. What's the future of the big boy, big Rom, Romelu Lukaku, new manager, new look for Man U. How's this team going to look come next August? All those guys you mentioned outside of maybe big Rom are surplus to requirements. Mata hardly even plays. Valencia, when Pulisic went around him on international duty the other day, everyone in Manchester said, he's done, his career's over. So, that, as I said, none of those guys, would. if I'm a Man U fan, would, would have me crying. That's just going to free up more cash for them to buy younger, better players. In fact, if that is what they're going to be losing, I would embrace that if I was them. But you never know. The Glazers are kind of cheap. And the key piece being Paul Pogba, and according to sources, they say that Paul Pogba not for sale at any price. The real question, though, is can you get the real Paul Pogba? Will the real Paul Pogba please stand up? Please stand up. Mm -hmm. Please stand up. Slim Shady. Thank you. Mm -hmm. He plays at times unbelievably inspired and he's a destructive force in the midfield and then you watch the next fixture and it's who is that guy with the dyed hair he looks like Pogba but he doesn't play like him well since uh, uh, Solskjaer's taken over I think we've gotten more of the guy that we because I'm with you I I would hear about this hype on him and I would see him play for uh, Le Bleu or at a club side and I thought what's the deal with him but then um, 
I liken him to a, a Stefan Effenberg type of guy, um, rangy, owns the midfield, hard to get the ball off of, can really command. He can be the teeth of the midfield. He can also distribute. He's good in the air, especially on set pieces and corners and things like that. Um, he is the key, as you said. But I think it's it's not like uh, he takes half the games on and half the games off. I'd say for the most part, you're getting the real guy. But at times, it, it, he doesn't play like the superstar that you would hope him to be. And a lot of that was under Jose Mourinho. He's played better under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. It's just yet to be seen whether or not he can sustain that for an entire campaign. Well, you, you have a guy like Mourinho telling telling you, you know, you why did I buy you? You're a waste of money. You're a waste of space. And then the new guy says, hey, have fun out there. I mean, right. A little different mindset. <laughs> it's a little different. So far, we know what works with. I mean, look, these millennials, Dan, you got to approach them with kid gloves. Yes, right? they're very tender. They're very sensitive. And also sensitive is our audience. When you tease something here on Golasso Supremo, Rick Tittle and Dan Dibley, you must deliver. You came in hot on your Yiddish explanation. As Roxy Bernstein once said to me, please explain. Yeah, is that because he's Jewish that you used Roxy? No, it's because we were doing a bit oh. one day on the air, and uh, <laughs> I said, The Snatch, and he said, Please explain. <laughs> and I said, I'll let my kids watch The Snatch, but not The Clean and Jerk. And so, <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. That's not bad. He left me hanging, but he hit me with a Please Explain when I opened up with The Snatch. That's like when I opened up a map to the Battle of the Somme, World War One. You have the town of Albera, and on either side you have the sausage factory and the glory hole. <laughs> nice. Yes. World War One. terrible, terrible places where people died. Yes, of course. Okay. Um, Yiddish. I got an email from uh-huh. John. John uh, said, I've just stumbled across the podcast, and I'm a big fan of you guys. And listen, we know it's early days, and, and people are still finding out. I mean, hell, we were called KMBR for our first three years. It takes people a while to catch on. Seriously. They're like, wait, what are you? So I know it's it's early days here. So um, John said, Rick, I know you're a Tottenham fan. What is the deal behind the controversy with Yids and Yiddos? So if you don't know what it is, Tottenham fans have called themselves the Yid Army and Yiddos. I had a T-shirt back in the early 90s that said Yiddos on it, which I got at White Hart Lane. Um, it comes from the fact that Tottenham Hale which is the sort of the, I'll try to keep you uh, uh, awake through this, but the part of the Council of Haringey in North London, a lot of uh, Jewish people had settled there and they'd come from mainland Europe. And so they wanted to assimilate, much like my grandfather from Denmark who never spoke Danish. He wanted to prove he was American. So they, these, uh, a lot of the Jewish fans went to the local side, which was at White Hart Lane. And so the last three Jewish owners are also happen to be Jewish. If you look at Irving Scholar and Alan M. Sugar and Daniel Levy now. And I hate, by the way, Irving Scholar. He took us into administration, which is bankruptcy. That's mm-hmm. a show for another day. But so it almost became synonymous that if you were Jewish, you supported Tottenham. Now, Arsenal also had a huge contingency of Jewish fans, but it just kind of got to the point where they just call themselves the Yiddish, the Yid Army, Yiddos. And so now they did a survey recently saying that they found out about 5% of the Tottenham fan base season ticket holders is of Jewish heritage. But every Tottenham game, and I can tell you this because I've been to many of them, each half, the guy on the drum does this, bum, 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 bum. And the whole crowd goes, yids. It's just something they do once per half. Uh But the PC world, Dan, especially people who aren't even involved, they heard somebody go, yids, and everyone's like, that's not right. That's anti-Semitic. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
we're embracing it. We're not being anti-Semitic. Um, there's the, 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 that we're honoring the Jewish heritage of this team. And so it got to the point where it's like, oh, we might not allow you to call yourselves that anymore. They finally they calmed down and they realized that it wasn't some brutal anti-Semitic thing. I'm sure people are still offended one way or the other. But from a guy who's been a fan since the 80s, this is something that they've embraced. They're not disparaging against it. But if you are Jewish and you're offended, you know, as I say, people can pick what they're offended by. But that was the whole controversy to answer John's email. I appreciate the explanation. And this is a far cry. This is a million miles from what you'll find when you watch the Mexican national team and what they shout out when the opposing goalkeeper takes a goal kick, which is basically a homophobic slur that they shout out in Spanish. This is more of a tributary chant that happens twice a match. Yeah, it is. And now if you want to say, oh, it's it's just like saying, well, the Florida State Seminoles, they're proud of them and Seminole tribes are are offended and you can take that stretch if you want, but these were Jewish fans themselves who were calling themselves the Yid Army, and it caught on with the Gentile crowd, of which I'm one. I happen to be Roman Catholic, but I like to keep I like to keep religion out of sports. This is why um, it's hard in Glasgow; it's so sectarian. Whether if you're Catholic, you got to root for Celtic, and if right. you're Protestant, you got to root for Rangers. Um, it's just a it, to me, it's heritage. I love history. And it's a, it's a, I always thought it was kind of a, a cool little thing. I'm not Yiddish, but I still say Yid Army. And I appreciate that. I appreciate you bringing it full circle and educating the audience as always, Rick. Thank you. Thank you so much, Captain Yid. This was a production of the 95.7 The Game Podcast Network. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.